Welcome to Two Dope Boys in a Podcast. I'm Phil McKenzie. I'm Michael Brooks. Two Dope Boys is a shout out from the margins. Each week we will break down trends using the lens of culture to shed light on what's significant to your future and why. What's up, brother? What's up? How you doing, man? Doing good. I'm doing good. I'm Life energized. Is good. Life, Life is good. Is you really are energized. Good. You came yeah, in a little I came sleepy, in. but we got in off the, I came the in pre-show up. argument. Exactly. I woke exactly. you up. I'm ready to rock. Come in and like, how you doing, Phil? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Hey, Jerry Maguire sucks. What? (laughs) Y'all don't understand (laughs) filmmaking. All right, let's record the show. And who gave us that opinion? Kind of, you came in as an on-point person, but now you're kind of like part of our crew. She's, I would say, yeah. There's a crew. Yeah. Introduce yourself, new crew. Two appearances count as crew. Oh, I'm crew. It's fantastic. I'm Lena Servostova, and I'm now crew. And she also doesn't like Jerry Maguire. You know, not my favorite. Because she's got good taste. <laughs> there you go. And she likes Raise the Red Lantern because she got the good taste. Ray the, Raise the Red Lantern was one of the most beautiful foreshadowing. movies I've ever seen. Foreshadowing for the yeah. crates. Little bit of foreshadowing. Opposite there. of the crates, we've got to get to the brand F up of the week. Phil, what do we got? Brand F up comes. This is an interesting story because uh, it deals with something that we've talked about a lot, which is compensation. Um, hiring, interviewing, and right. and all these things that are sort of roiling around with how people view their work. Even though it's a couple, two weeks old, I, I still think it's a fairly relevant story where a woman by the name of Victoria Karras, and I hope I'm saying her name correctly, applied for a job at a startup called Skip the Dishes. I'm assuming we can assume what this company does by the name like Make Skip the Dishes. names for itself? Yeah, okay. pretty much, pretty much. It's like a food delivery service, right? In that vein. Some type of like blue apron-y sort of thing. Yeah, making your life easier for no reason because people are basically lazy. <laughs> so, <laughs> short, this is making not. your life This doesn't require a lot of setup. no reason exactly. because people are basically lazy for generations. Lazy and looking to yeah. like sh- shortcuts for everything. So, she had an interview with this company. Yes. It really went well. The first interview went well. And as they were setting up additional interviews, she made a request asking about salary. So basically it was benefits, right? Yeah, salary and benefits. Like what would a package um, look like? And the company got back to her and basically said that she asked about compensation a little bit too early in the process. And as a result of that, they're not looking for that kind of person. They're looking for someone who's more long-term in their thinking and more looking to come in and really dive in. you got to be thinking about what you can contribute. Exactly. And so they weren't going forward with any further interviews and controversy ensued. Yeah. This is just... I, I, in a way, in a dark way, I love stories like this because this just exposes and belies the whole bullshit of the whole tech economy. Um, forget who was making this. I think actually on Chapo Trap House, they were making this really intelligent point that like in some ways the digital space is the only place left where we can tell the Horatio Alger story because it's disappeared so much from the rest of the economy like there just isn't that sort of like you start in the mail room and then you work your way up but you can sort of play that game of like i figured out an instagram strategy and you know now i have three houses you know this sort of like (laughs) fantasy life and they made that point really well and i think that you know this to me though when you look at the underlying engines of this tech economy from the fact that 
we're on platforms where these massive conglomerates are profiting enormously in the form of free consumer data and content that they don't compensate users, which is all of us for, to just the sort of like general kind of approach of this sort of weird hybrid of like a self-help seminar and a sweatshop where it's like, you, you know, if you're asking about basically protecting and advocating for yourself and getting what anybody would should and needs and demands from any modern job, then you don't have like a can-do go-getter attitude. And it exposes the economics of it in terms of how the economy is structured and how these companies can get away with this behavior. But it also really exposes the sort of, you know, snarling, disgusting, bared fangs behind the emoji smile. You know, I have to ask also, I'm going to go here, is, is if she hadn't been a woman, would it have been a different sort of calculation? I've so. heard a lot of anecdotal and other stories that, you know, crosses genders with this type yeah. of thing. I, oh, but I, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, it makes, sure. I hear, I think I'm sure that it is a factor, but I've heard a lot of this type of thing across yeah. the board. No, I think that's absolutely true. I just remember a story is that when I started my own company like nine years ago now, I'm so old. Um, I remember talking about, pricing because I didn't know how to price. I'd always been on salary. And when I was sort of floating what would be my hourly, daily, whatever retainer rate, across the board, the men would be like, that's all you're charging? And across the board, the women were like, you're charging that much? Wow. Is that because you're like a lawyer? And I was like, wait, there's a huge, <laughs> what? this is crazy. And that's just like one person. That's an anecdotal thing. So yeah. there is a little bit of a gender component. Having said that, I totally agree with you, Michael. I mean, I've, I've been reading a lot. There's this great piece. There's a company called, I don't know if it's a company or an organization called Startup One Stop, and they publish a piece every week. Um, and I put it up today on Facebook uh, about the... Um, the sort of the problems with the quote unquote sharing economy when nobody's sharing. Right. Right. And it's, it, you know, it exposes this sort of this, the Silicon Valley sort of lack of regulation, you know, ability to sort of sacrifice workers, sacrifice everything for profits. And what's crazy is that a lot of these like unicorn companies are not profitable. Right. So you'll be looking at these valuations yeah. based on some kind of potential. And when you look at their profit and loss, it like just doesn't exist. Right. So like Uber is like the best example of that. And the exploitation of their workers, the sort of the, the inability to return to their shareholders and then the way they treat their employees. It's crazy. Like, why are we allowing this as a, as a, as a country, as a society, as a, as a world? I don't get it. And so this like when I was reading about skip is it called skip the dishes skip the dishes i was like yep. this, yeah this is a beautiful sort of like microcosm story of you know what people expect you to do right so yeah. you know i i don't understand why we allow ourselves in the quote-unquote sharing economy to be you know exploited in like this but it's like it's like the hunger right it's the intern account economy it's all of this and it, it's just it's got to change yeah it's we got to change and the piece we, we wrote a while ago was specifically talking about during the interview process where companies and i'm sure you've experienced this lena or heard of these kind of things where companies now when they're interviewing people they start to ask you to do projects as part of the yeah. interview process yeah. that are primarily um uncompensated yeah and in our article um, that we wrote was saying that that should be rejected out of hand. Like if you're asking potential applicants to do project work for you, 
that should at the very least be compensated if yeah. you're going to do it. People who are who are seeking employment, they're professionals. You know, I keep thinking of that that famous Mad Men episode where Peggy's like crying Don that he never says thank you. She and he's like, that's what the money's for. Like <laughs> the money is what says thank you. Right. You know, until we're in the Federation where we don't have money anymore, Star Trek nerd reference, we gotta See, do I got something, that now. I we gotta to do something you, different. And we gotta compensate people for their for their time yeah. and their work and, and, and the, their effort. And the way that we can do that ironically is by re-embracing things that have also been in this modern mythology like when when the when the tech economy rose like if you go back to the 80s and 90s and look at that sort of books and discourse about the information superhighway and all these kind of fantasies about what that economy would entail you know it was like well obviously you know labor unions are irrelevant now because we have the internet right like these kind of logical non sequiturs and the reality is, is in order to even do like what, you know, there, the one argument of like what Phil and I were making is from a company standpoint, if you want to distinguish yourself as a slightly ethical company and culture, you can compensate people in these projects. But then from the, you know, perspective of potential employees, in order for us to start unifying and making those kind of demands, we're going to need to start banding together in new ways. And that is going to look like whatever those 21st century freelancer equivalents are of organized labor and people connecting digitally in different ways to try to create some form of you know solidarity and counterpower in this economy that's some of the biggest questions i think facing any type of creative or entrepreneur in this environment how do you find the communities to uh, counteract those systems of scale that exploit people yeah there's a there's an article that i actually didn't finish but i think it's in new york Magazine, or it's a New Yorker. I can't remember, but it's it's called the gig economy is killing us. Yep. Right? Did you read that? I've seen that. Yeah. 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 So it's really funny because it like literally it's killing people, right? Yeah. I mean, because lack of health insurance, like lack of time, people are sort of like not sleeping anymore. And I don't know if it's literally killing people, but it actually is like you know sort of disadvantaging yeah. people in terms of health, in terms of you know yeah. family. And then um, Randy Zuckerberg just sort of did this talk where she's like. You know, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, there are five you know aspects to life, and you can only manage three. So decide which two are you going to like sacrifice. I think she was doing like sort of tongue in cheek to a certain extent, but at the same time, like, oh god, like this is this is not what we all got into the digital economy for, mm-hmm. right? We got into the digital economy for scale, for community building, for or at least uh, that's why I got into it because it's sort of like the the in- immense reach that you've got with the digital economy is incredible, but. It is, um, yeah, the disadvantages are becoming really stark. Um, and we've, we've got, we have so much work to do to try to fix that. And that is the brand F up. we got to get to what's up. Now we want to get to what's up and this is actually a conversation that I'm really excited to have because instead of kind of looking at one particular case study, we're going to have an opportunity to dive into what, for lack of a better word, I'm calling like performative social justice, impact, feminism, any of those sort of large bucket um, ideas or topics. And when I say performative, what we really mean is you know, companies, institutions, people who will use 
these parameters to basically brand themselves to kind of further um, institutional or personal goals, but they won't actually live or further in a progressive way the agenda that one would start to think about when they think about social justice work or social impact work or the larger sort of philosophies around um, feminism. Of course, keeping in mind that that's going to mean slightly different things to different people. So we're not so much trying to define all of this as much as sort of take a few big things and use them as sort of larger case studies. So very recently we have um, Thinks, T-H-I-N-X, so I'm make sure that I'm saying it clearly, which is a company that is known for making um, underwear to help deal with women's um, menstruation. I think that's a fair <laughs> way to put it. And um, the founders and the company have championed kind of a feminine agenda, for lack of a better word. And then very recently, there were reports that came out and that's that the company as a whole didn't really live up to those ideals. Um, that's one for an example. There's very recently, is it Warrior Girl? What? How am I saying? Am I saying that right? Fearless Girl. Yeah. The Fearless Girl statue that oh, yeah. I want to say, I'm fac fascinated with like Xena, apparently. <laughs> you know, it's always in my mind. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Oh, shout out Lucy Lawless. That's right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. That's good to know. So the Fearless Girl statue was placed in front of the um, iconic Wall Street bull um, by State Street, sort of as a um, stand for women's rights again another one of these feminist stands is that problematic is it not i fall in a camp where it's kind of bullshit another example of you know where are we going with these things are they merely just performance or are or is there an a opportunity to be have them be more impactful more meaningful to actually live up to the agenda well, I think they're both, right? I mean, I think they're they're performative and that's a problem, but there is an opportunity to sort of deepen the conversation, right? So with something like Thinks and just, you know, full disclosure, I know the co-founders a bit. What they were trying to do was create this sort of like female forward agenda. Um, it's not necessarily feminist, at least not the way I, th I think about feminism, right? So I'm sort of tied to like these feminist circles that are thinking more closely about social justice. And the problem with social impact right now or social innovation or a lot of social entrepreneurship is that social justice isn't part of the calculation, right? So the notion of equality, it goes back to what we talked about in Brand F Up. It's like, you know, we're going we're gonna to create these companies and we're going to be part of the equation. We're going to be part of the discussion as women. And as long as we get there, as long as we reach that uh, sort of like if we're a CEO of one of these companies, um, that's enough, as opposed to sort of looking at the questions of, of feminism, justice, equality, and things like that. That's, that's a problem, right? So it's not getting, to me, it's not getting far enough. The, um, the question of like the fearless girl, um, it's, it's interesting. I have to tell you, like when I first thought, I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then I found out who did it. And I was like, oh, that's kind of lame. Right. Because it's <laughs> right. Cause I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Because like, you know, to, to sort of have this little girl facing the bull as if I thought if it were a, you know, sort of a, this uh, renegade kind of thing, that would be really cool as like international women's day kind of statement. But then it was a company that was sort of trying to make a statement about inclusion of women at I think it's in in boards right yeah. or in the financial sector so state I, street straight so yeah state street and I think you know if they had backed it up with saying you know what we're gonna be like investing in girls who code or we're gonna be investing in like you know 
the 100 women in finance, you know, that's an organization that a friend of mine runs, like trying to figure out education, trying to figure out like actual inclusion and diversity and thinking about sort of the the equity, right? The, the, the equality behind these things, but just putting a statue there and saying, Hey, you know, we made a stand. It, it doesn't go far enough. Like spectacle is not social justice. Spectacle is a beautiful addition to trying to, to, to social impact, but it is not social impact itself. And I think that's what we're seeing with a lot of these companies that are sort of grounded in not even like traditional Keynesian capitalism like they're they're grounded in this sort of like libertarian non-regulatory like tech bro kind of thing saying we're going to make social impact from Silicon Valley right using those principles of agility and innovation which are key uh, but that we're just going to rely on that and social impact will ensue well you know what it doesn't right and I think that's what some of these pieces that you were talking about that's what they show you need to have you need to back your sort of innovations or your companies your all of you know all of your efforts up with principles of equality and justice otherwise it's not impact yeah there's a lot the other quick one before you go mike is um pantsuit nation also was something we cited and and again that was in i guess january i feel like it was end of year january maybe yeah where i'm not overly familiar with the group because i wasn't in it but i was a member facebook group designed to kind of talk about not just hillary clinton but progressive female um, politics yeah. and then the founder kind of sold it into an idea of a book yeah. using a lot of the content that w- had been generated and provided by um, members of that group yeah. to uh-uh. me it felt like a massive betrayal right I mean of of sort of community building pr- principles because what she had done was created this group that grew massively because it was quote-unquote a safe space like you know it was like Bernie Sanders people there it was pr- predominantly people who would were voting for Hillary Clinton, but it was a, a safe space to talk about. You know, if if you're if you have a Trump you know Trump voting family member, how do you deal with this, or how do you deal with sort of being a woman and you know sort of looking at this potential um, female president for the first time, or all these different like it was just a safe space, um, which was actually I was suspicious of it as, at first because I don't like those. I find that performative, but when I got deeper into it, I'm like, wow, these discussions are really interesting. Like I'm seeing what people are saying, and then founder of the of the group rather than let the community grow as you should like sort of like took the rug out in my mind took the rug out from under the entire community and said we're going to package this and i'm going to sell it i think though that that's what's so to me i'm not justifying what she did and i don't have any experience with pantsuit nation but i guess it's like this is a random or not a random comparison but it seems like an indirect comparison but i'll make it anyways we talked several months ago with um what was his name? Tahir Jeter, right? Mm-hmm. He's a filmmaker who um, deals a lot with dating and relationships, and and uh, you know, and 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 men like not being accountable is like a big theme for him. And I, I like his work, and I really enjoyed our conversation. And one of the pushbacks I gave him was like, "How can you isolate?" how we think of relationships more and more as sort of disposable things that we don't really need to invest in and can upgrade from and pivot from pretty quickly when that's like the message of the rest of our lives. And I guess the analogy I would draw for this is like, you know, yeah, like that's what Facebook is doing to you every day. That's what Google in some ways is doing to you every day. It's taking your data, it's taking your activity, it's bundling it and it's profiting off of it. So I think that like, 
it, there's a logic to that kind of ways of dealing with community in today's age because everybody's looking for something to commodify everybody's looking for something to to you know package and position themselves with and it's that weird fusion of ego and ambition and desire for recognition which we all have and then also like you know the really foundational issues that we we're also talking about in the brand f up like i gotta pay some bills um so i think that you know and and then that relates also lena to what you talked about of this confusion of social impact that you know social impact can kind of come in these sort of ephemeral and spectacle ways fits with a culture that says that you know change is an app change doesn't need to have a durable structural implication to it and i think that as long as we're rewarding that economically and worshiping that technologically it's going to implement implicate how we think of and do everything else we're talking about i don't like to quant it's I, it's weird for me and us to say this because we're always criticizing you know crude quantifying of things but from my perspective as even just like a strategist and talking to brands like you can't the, the 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 flip side that's positive with social is that things are so transparent now and everybody can flip back on you in a second right like i remember like a one year for international women's day it's like you know people were tweeting out like it's so great to see all these brands recognizing women's leadership and none of them have any women on their board right and i put that out that got like a i don't know some massive retweet right and that's just like a little thing but it's like that pushback i think that you know so it makes green washing and every other type of social conscious washing harder so it's almost like if you're going to unload a campaign like that or an ad like that or an image like we're talking about you need to have that preset with a bunch of tangible deliverables that you're going to have that correlate with that campaign. And in the Pantsuit Nation case, I mean, maybe if she had conducted some type of transparent and open process, exactly. like, look, I set up this container. I want to do X, Y, and Z with this group. Um, and maybe even asserted it. Like, I am actually going to do it. But are you willing to participate in it? Yeah. How do you feel? You I know, mean, to be fair, you know, there's a way did, to set yeah. the context. Yeah, yeah, and she didn't set the context. To be right. fair, she did say, like, n you have to opt in to get your content, you know, sort of in the book. Right. Mm -hmm. That was, but that was the only opt in. Right. So it was pretty clear that she had been, she'd already had a deal with the publishers uh, that were going to do this book for right. a long time before right. she announced it, and she just dropped it. Like that is community management 101. You don't do that. Like right. if you start a community, this wasn't like, oh, I'm starting an anthology. Would you like to participate? Here's the Facebook you know, group. Mm -hmm. That's a whole different issue. She started a community and then said, oh, here's an opportunity. And I'm not, and there's like the difference between, I totally get it. Like we have seeded so much of our life to Facebook and Google and to like seeding our data and our sort of all of our lives to them. I, that is p deeply problematic. The difference is with something like Pantsuit Nation is that there is a one-on-one -on -one relationship. Like oh, there's, you know what I mean? Completely. Yeah, I'm just saying she, her yeah. following, I'm just saying the logic of how we relate to and behave with each other is always going to be implicated by the environment we're swimming to in. Yeah, and totally. if we're pushed to be exhausted sharks, then we're going to start behaving a little bit more like exhausted sharks. It doesn't excuse her. I'm just saying it, you know, if there was an environment where it was like, hey, you're compensated on some level because we have a social investment scheme in the government and, or whatever. And we recognize that setting up something like this community is a beneficial thing in and of itself of which you should be compensated for. 
maybe, you know, it's like, oh, okay, great. I don't have to worry about that variable. Or maybe it could still be like, that's not enough. I want to aggrandize myself more. You know, that's fine. But I'm just saying like when everything is stripped and the context is set, we are going to start to behave in predictable ways that don't come down to like our individual ethics. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's environmentally set. I and mean, that's, that's the my challenge. Perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we're having this conversation, but in the backdrop is all of those demands yeah. that everybody has toward those personal things. Like, you know, when, when you and I have talked like offline, you know, just kind of quick hits, it's always like, you know, sometimes I laugh when I look at these folks because I'm like, oh, I, you just, you just want to be the star. Like yeah, you don't exactly. really want, like you don't really give a shit about this stuff. Like this is just a very convenient way. And, th and this is not indicting any, any one in the people we've talked about in these case studies. It's just generally speaking, you can, there's hundreds of these folks out there who they just want to be the star. Like me and one of my boys who's Haitian. So shout out to Eve. Um, oh, meet him. Shout with, out to Eve. Shout out to Eve. Eve. We would always joke around, like you know, Me I would too. always give him shit because I'm West Indian, he's West Indian, he's Haitian, and I'd be like, dude, there's like a million Haitian organizations out there, like raising money, having fundraisers, doing this, doing that. Like, why don't y'all all just do one thing? Like, just find each other, come together, and do one thing. We would always laugh because I'd be like, yo, that dude just wants to be the head of the party like he just wants to have the party have the fundraiser ask you to bring whatever it is he wants you to bring to be the star like it's not as much about like doing something for haiti like that's a yeah, part of it but yeah. it's not the sole thing yeah and there's a i mean that's on the that's sort of on the nonprofit charity side which yeah. is there, there's always been that tension there on the sort of social impact brand side that that tension isn't like in spades and it's really interesting because there's there is that tension between being well some people just want to be the star and they're using social impact as the excuse and i just i find that unacceptable then there are the people who are like okay oh, excuse if I, me Lena. sorry How i know i know brooks you gotta yeah. you gotta stop that um <laughs> i don't i'm not but we should use that as a sound drop yeah <laughs> um but then there are the people who are using you gotta stop that there, there are people who are sort of trying to make change at scale and they think the best way to do that is to is to become the star and I understand that tension it's not the way I do it and I felt the disadvantage of that like it's mm -hmm. harder for me sometimes to raise money or to do things or like to get into those quote-unquote circles I also don't want to be part of those circles but I understand that I'm disadvantaging sometimes my own projects or agendas because I'm not willing to do that and that's I understand that about myself but I often say like if you are doing social impact work and you're the story, you're doing the work wrong, right? And I think that there's nuance, there should be nuance there. I think that there are some people who do it really beautifully and they allow themselves to be used as vessels, right? To sort of say, well, this is what I'm working on, right? This is what I'm doing, I am the message. It is often hard to do that well. Some people do it really well and they, they manage to re retain humility and put you know, their their communities first or they put the change first or they put the sort of whatever and they are they're the vessel they're the messenger they're whatever you want to say they're the star but they're not doing it to the disadvantage of the community that's very rare it's it's beautiful when you can see it but it's very rare often what you're getting is people who can't figure out that tension and what they're doing is they're like okay well i'm going to be the cool one right like yeah. i'm going to be the one check Right, like in, in like I don't know. Thank you. Um, yeah, and and, that, and that's that's really yeah. a problem. They think that 
social change will happen in the slipstream of their stardom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem, right? So yeah. They want to be the superstar. They want to be the superstar. They want to be at Aspen. They want to fly around. They want to get the all the attention. And Some of y'all just don't have difficult. the charisma. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We got to get to what's next. So now we got to get to what's next. And... Um, this is an opportunity, I think, really to utilize you, Lena, because we've been talking. I mean, obviously, every week we got the brand F up. That's always somebody who's fucking up. And then we have um, usually in What's Up, there's a problem, unless it's a record that Phil loves. Um, but now, you know, for what's next on the flip side, basically just want you to highlight or talk about some examples from anything movements technology whatever that are getting some of the themes that we're talking about right with regards to social change sure i mean i'm i've been for the last two years i've had this um grant of a leadership grant from the rockefeller foundation to look at leadership across sort of international development and human rights um and where those two meet and it's been fascinating it's actually you know sort of post-election post-trump election it has been the one thing that's been sort of buoying my spirits because you see the people who are doing this work really really well and how they're they may not always make sort of they, they may not always have successes in the short term but over the long term they are expressing leadership and the kind of leadership i was talking about earlier it's like they are letting the change lead they're letting the community lead they're not the ones who are the stars but so I've been like sort of studying different people and the work that they're doing. There's some incredible people, right? So on sort of the the movement and coalition side, like the coalition of Immokali workers, I was able to talk to them two weeks ago and interviewed like four or five of their members. They're consensus building organization. And what they've done is they've sort of flipped the power structure to allow their workers to take power, um, consumer power. Um, this, they're, they're a coalition that primarily represents like tomato pickers and they have flipped the equation and they actually have a toolkit, which is incredible. So go to their website, love what they're doing on the brand side. You know, Warby Parker is doing some really great stuff. Like they are, I'm not a huge fan of like the buy one, give one kind of. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, I am not at all. Okay. I'm very wary of that. Really wary of it. But the reason I call out Warby Parker is because I think they've sort of like unlocked the way you can do that. I don't think anyone else has, right? Mm. Like I'm not a fan of like, oh, let's, you know, buy this like pair of shoes and we'll send it to like Argentina. Every time I see someone with Tom's on, I'm like, I give them the side eye. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Every time I buy a pair of shoes, I buy another for myself. There you go. Yeah, I two up. <laughs> Just single-handedly, like, you yeah. know, supporting the economy. Yeah, that's um, right. So do I, though, Thank I have you. to tell yeah. you. Um, yeah, yeah, multiple pairs. I'm yeah, glad but that you were able to recognize yourself there because you were about to give me a little more side-eye and then you were just yeah. like, actually. Absolutely. I think, like, with my shoe collection, I would be like, you know, I could finance an entire nonprofit Amalda for you. Marcos. My God, so crazy. Um, I like my shoes. Um, I'm a human rights activist who likes my shoes. Enough. <laughs> Don't give me shit about it. Um, well, it depends. But no, but Warby Parker, strangely yeah. enough, like even though, they, I mean, even though they're like a buy one, give one on the social impact side, what they've been able to do is like sort of there's, there's measurable impact and they've done it well because they've partnered well, right? Mm. So that that's sort of like the key. And they're not about necessarily replacing um, local economies. They're about bolstering local economies, which is a different kind of calculus. So I'm, I'm really interested in what they've been doing. And, you know, like the Ben and Jerry's and the Timberlands of the world, like, you know, love them. I also love Chobani. 
right? So Chobani yeah. and the Chobani yeah. Foundation. Yeah, about Chobani as yeah, well. Yeah, I just, yeah. I, you know, I just love what they're doing. I obviously, um, you know this about me, I've, half of my work at this point is on sort of refugee and migration issues. And what they've done, um, both locally, like I, I met the owner, Hamdi Lukaya, years ago, mm-hmm. before he was, like, w- when he was starting and what he's done, I'm an upstate girl and he's an up, you know, he's from upstate New York. Um, and what he's been able to do locally, what he's been able to do in terms of his company and turn to like, you know, he's, it's not a pure cooperative, but he's given ownership over to, to, to management, right? And, and people get shares of profits, which I think is a beautiful model. And he hasn't like made a big deal about it. It was obviously written about, but it's wonderful. And then what he's done with refugees, I think is pretty amazing. Yeah. So that's this sort of like cross, uh, cross purpose. I think he's doing a really beautiful beautiful job. Um, and then there are like future leaders, right? So I've been looking at, uh, we're trying to highlight some future leaders for the Rockefeller thing. I'm hoping that'll come out. I will let you guys know, but I, I'm hoping to launch that project in about four to six weeks, hopefully. Okay. Um, so I'll send it to you and you know, you can We'll go to the launch party. Out. We should totally do a launch party. Boom. It would be great. Yeah, I could DJ. Um, <laughs> oh my God, yes. You're a really good DJ. So yeah, okay, we'll do I a can, launch party. I can give some type of introductory remarks or something. You can do that. You can, <laughs> can come, talk. You, you can come with your collection of shoes. I can come with some of the fly sneakers <laughs> and my big mouth. I got you. No, but I, <laughs> yeah. I love that like you gave an opportunity like the Warby Parker thing blows me, you yeah. know, not because I have any particular beef with Warby Parker. I don't. But again, that model has always been one that's made me skeptical. Yeah, I don't like it. So I to, do not to like hear it. Yeah. like someone is getting it right. And, you know, I think it's rare. Yeah. And I don't think rare. it's going to be replicated. You know, I think that they just have managed to crack it because of their business model mm-hmm. and because of the management, like who they know. I mean, who they are. But I, it's. I would not tell people to go look at their business model to replicate it. I would go tell people to go look at their business model for inspiration. But in general, I don't like the buy one, give one. Because I don't think people get it right. I think it depresses local economies like just across the board. Yeah. So you've got it. we got to get to the crates. All right, so now we got to get to the crates. This is your picks from culture. It makes your life better, stronger, faster. Lena, what do you got? Well, I I just um, finished rewatching um, OJ Made in America. It is a mm. dope series. Yeah, it's really long, but so I'd I'd seen it last year, and then I watched um, OJ the American Crime Story, which is really good but you know pretty campy soap yeah. opera kind of like treatment of it <laughs> the fx joint john the travolta FX, yeah. as as robert shapiro, shapiro exactly i'm like oh my god i could not get over like <laughs> ross geller as rob <laughs> as pop what's his name robert kardashian yeah what's his name dave uh, david um swimmer right swimmer. so it's like ross. i just kept i just kept on like where's rachel um <laughs> hiding the body <laughs> could not get over that <laughs> 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 exactly. <laughs> exactly um but then i rewatched it after that so it was like the second time it's just it is so incredible also because it had sort of won the oscar and i was like okay let me let me revisit this yeah, yeah. piece of content and it is on the second viewing even better like it is it is incredible it is so well researched so well done um and I've, it just the fact that it was on ESPN blows my mind, right? Because it is really funny because that confluence of media and celebrity with sports and sort of the what we 
what we allow our sports stars to do, right? And the, I love the meme that's going around that that's looking at sort of the NFL pairs, like rapist, this, that, and then you like get Colin Kaepernick, who's like didn't do anything wrong, and he's the one who got tossed out. Raping was, America, oh all right? You know what? You know what? Maybe you should you learn a little bit of respect. Yeah. I think this country's done a lot for you people, he, <laughs> and I, by I, which I, I mean you and Phil. Exactly. <laughs> the two of us, man. God. You know what? He, a little bloom is off for me for for him because of the whole like love army for Somalia. Not down with that. Yeah. Like the flying like a plane of food into Somalia. Like what? How is that going to help? That's not structural. That's the best thing anyway, you did. Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, t- take a knee, please. Take a knee. Um, but I would, I would say, if you've already seen OJ Made in America, watch it again. Like, because I just think on the second viewing, it is like the nuances, and just it's 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 just so incredible. And uh, I found myself really like just really feeling bad like about for how. OJ? No, not a, not for OJ. <laughs> That's that's a stretch. Can I just say really quickly, and this is just a terrible thing to, because it it is, it's amazing. And I am going to rewatch it because of your recommendation. But the two parts of that thing that cracked me up, and I mean, one, I guess, is a spoiler, but whatever. It's a real thing. You should watch it. You should watch it anyways. But the first one, and this is really morbid, but OJ had like, OJ went really deep on having white friends. So he had like the type of white friends that, you know, deep white, like vintage brand, like Ascot white people. And there's this one guy, I don't know where the fuck they dragged him up, right? But like some Beverly Hills, whatever. And him and OJ were buddies. And this guy literally witnessed like some type of shit that OJ did to Nicole, right? And he's like, oh, no, he threw her down the stairs. And I thought that was kind of harsh, right? You know, this little bit. And he goes, and when I saw him cheat at golf, that's what I realized what kind of man he was. (laughs) (laughs) It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. He's just like, oh, I thought when he hit her with a baseball bat, oh, it was a little excessive. But then. But when I saw him cheat at golf, that was the most disturbing. And then the other thing is OJ's agent is this dude oh my basically God, like, the so way it's shot, it's incredible because you think like, oh, this is kind of a normal guy and he's going to be out. Like like maybe even before the thing happens where Nicole's killed, right? And then he's just like, yeah, and I always just knew OJ was guilty. But you realize the longer the thing goes on, it's like, are you still this dude's agent? Like while he's in jail? <laughs> he just never left. <laughs> he just never like left. you just think it's going to keep going on. Like he's going to be like, actually, you know, hold on one second. Now, OJ and I are actually running a pyramid scheme in his prison. <laughs> so we got a conference call about it. it, it it's incredible. But anyways, people should watch it. I'm going to, I'm going to take guest. Pro- I know, I know I'm crew now, but I'm going to take guest prerogative and give you two more things. Cause I did it last time yeah, too. No so the second one is a short film. I was a judge on something called the social impact media awards, which we had actually received for who is dining Cristal in 2015 so they gave us an award so thank you guys um but then they asked me to be a judge and there was a short film that has just stayed with me i don't know where you can find it i can try to send it to you so you can send it out to people but it's called roots mm-hmm. it's a black and white film about the refugee crisis in greece it is incredible oh, it that. is beautiful aesthetically I mean, it's just, it's the issue I work on, but it hit me in a really beautiful way and in a new and unexpected way. So that one. And then the pop culture shout out I will give you is Grace and Frankie, which is Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin. It's like, you know, you never see like old women, old women. Oh God, I can't believe I just said that. Sorry, Jane. Sorry. Um, 
more older mature. women, more mature women um, getting you know, their you due. Don't see, you just don't see ancient actresses doing their thing. <laughs> You know, they're both nearing <laughs> 80 and they're gorgeous. No, right? I, I and then, like, and I love Sarah Marshall. I watched watch an episode of that. It's so cool. I mean, is it good? Yeah. I mean, you I'm know, not going to watch more of it. Listen, it's, it's not It's it not the yeah. most, like, it's it's not yeah. groundbreaking in terms of the writing, but it is groundbreaking in that it's like, it's, you know, sort of older gentlemen, older women, you know, sort of having full lives, you know, and they're sort of dealing with, like, problems of sex and, like, finances and trying to start a business when you're 75 and it's just you know what it's it's all kinds of like really interesting it's it's kind of apolitical but at the same time it's just like when i said last time i was here with jane the virgin it is political in its own way and it's just really i don't know if your listeners are going to love it but i love the fact that it exists you know it just exists so those are my three recommendations cool go man i only got one this week um which is um I got bad news, which was that the Nick, uh, uh, Cinemax um, drama, um, Steve Soderbergh um, produced it and directed, I think, almost all the episodes, if not all the episodes, um, was canceled officially. There was sort of like this cliffhanger, like, will it come back? And will they sort of, you know, keep the story going, even though the Clive Owen character went through a lot of stuff? um, So I don't give any spoilers. But nonetheless... It's officially canceled, and it broke my heart because I love the Nick, Aww. and I thought it was great. It it tackled a lot of issues around um, turn of the century, um, race, and mm-hmm. and just the me- the medical stuff can get a little graphic. That's why I'm not going to watch it. But right. if you can get past that, I mean, it it talks about the beginning of the eugenics eugenicist movement oh, really? and wow. there's a lot of really great stuff and just Steve Soderbergh's just a genius. Matt's yeah. uh, great grandfather was involved in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's a genius. Yeah. Like, the music is amazing. Yeah. I'm usually I usually don't love shows that don't use period music when they're period shows. But they had this weird techno soundtrack that strangely worked, even though the show was kind of oh, wow. set in like eighteen ninety something or early nineteen hundreds. You know, so if you can go out there and find the Nick, it was two seasons. It's one of the best recent series that I can recall. Um, since you didn't do it, I actually, and I apparently haven't done this before. I'm going to recommend Raise the Red Lantern which is a 1991 film by, I think it's, I'm going to butcher it, but it's Jiang Yimou. Yeah, Jiang Yimou. I don't know. He's a very prominent Chinese director, and he made, and it's funny because his career has shifted recently. He did um, Hero and House of Flying Daggers. Mm-hmm. And oh, I've seen all them shits. Yeah, and he directed, yeah. The, and he directed, the, <laughs> yeah. he directed the, the Beijing Olympics. And he's he is amazing, although his profile has changed. Like when he made Raise the Red Lantern in 1991, he was definitely considered at the very least like i mean a prominent respected but a suspect artist by the chinese government and you know someone who some of his films could be interpreted as allegorical against the government he or overtly critical of the cultural revolution which was a little bit of space to do but raise the red lantern is really a, a movie that is in, in some ways i could actually see the current chinese government at least theoretically being happy with it because it's really a treatment of like pre-modern Chinese misogyny specifically. And also, you know, obviously these themes are very global. Um, it's a heartbreaking movie. It's really disturbing. And it's also paradoxically, it is 
visually one of just like and this is a weird word to use was the only one i could think of it's like a visually sumptuous movie yeah it's, it's one just of the most stunning i mean just movies the, I've ever seen. the color palette mm-hmm. the if you're like me i'm i'm like a big like i i can't even i couldn't even explain to you different time periods but i love chinese architecture i love that sort of use of space you see a lot of that and even some of the most sort of sickest traditions have some of the most beautiful aesthetics around them so it's a really unsettling piece to watch because on one hand you're like what's actually happening is disgusting but the like the structure around it is like the pinnacle of human achievement in a sick way it's an incredibly it's an inc- human movie. yeah it's, it's an inc- so it's, it's i just yeah i mean yeah. you know we I gotta look rave it about it all day raise the red lantern it was made in 1991 and it also starred gong lee and i remember her performance yeah. and it's yeah it's incredible yeah. i mean it, it's it, an it incredible film like I, I saw it yeah no i yeah. saw it in yeah, yeah. 1991 i saw it in the theater oh and wow yeah i'm older than i look so I, saw, I, saw I didn't 20. mean it like that. I actually meant like it'd be amazing to watch in a <laughs> oh, theater. Oh, in the theater. But it incidentally, was, I mean, damn. You know, oh I'm sorry God, I made that, that joke about the the show before. I'm sorry. I, I know. No idea. The ancient women. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> um, no, I think it's, inc- it's Phil, you got to watch it. It is one of the well. most beautiful movies I've ever, ever, ever seen. And before we sign off, as always, want to thank crew, Lena, your crew now. We don't even need to do like a big melodramatic thing. You'll be back on again soon. Well, are you, am I, do I get paid? Is that could, can I? No. Can we have that conversation? I, you know, what, I actually don't think this interview process should move forward. Yeah, I want to thank. I'm about to tweet. Yeah, you should. Yeah, take a screenshot. You should be recording. Well, you are recording me. Super producer Matt Leck, creative director Sean Awan, and news for everybody in May. I don't know. Do you have the dates in front of you? Phil? Yep, I do. Um, May 22nd through May 25th. Phil and I are going to be at the Sustainable Brands Conference in Detroit, um, and we're going to be giving a seminar and presentation on the types of issues that you would expect us to be talking about and covering culture, trends, business. We'll have more specifics for you in the coming weeks. Um, We'll also have discount deals if you're interested in attending the event. And this is also going to be a significant place where we're going to start to sort of roll out... um, what we're doing around the show in the future and our kind of business offerings as well so we'll be hearing more about that in the coming weeks sustainable brands conference in detroit we are bound see you on thursday for on point